Good morning, Five Stones Church. We are glad that you are with us. And as we've done now the last few weeks, we have a member from the church that will share their testimony in keeping with our um, message or uh, the book that we're sharing from, which is the Song of Solomon's. And hopefully you've had some time now to read through this book during the summer. It's um, not a very long book. You can actually read it within 15 minutes in one sitting. And it's a, it's a book that's full of poetry and, and metaphors, and it's a very beautiful romance. And so um, we're going to have Hiromi Suzuki come on up, and she's going to share her testimony. And she's got a couple little tunes that she's going to sing for us as well. So come on up. Good morning, Five Stone Church family. My name is Hiromi. I was born in a family of five other youngest daughter in Japan. And I've been in Vancouver more than 15 years by now. Before I start, I, can I play a little bit? Well, thank you for the breakthrough you have given me. As I share my story, I believe that, that someone will be receive same breakthrough. Lord, I just ask your anointing for this story, testimony, in Jesus' name, amen. How did I start attending church? In Japan? Actually, not in Japan, in Canada. Let me share my story. Over 20 years ago, one of my friend's friend invited me to visit small Japanese home church in Burnaby. I wasn't interested in to attend the church at all, but um, my friends just asking me, oh, you know, you love to listen to piano music. So, and then they play very nice piano music there. So why don't you come and then visit? So um, I said, okay. And uh, I thought, just trying it out. And when I first time there, um, the com very comforter and it's very cozy atmosphere there. And as I started to listen to the piano music there, I started to cry, but I didn't know why. But now I would say, because the Holy Spirit touching my soul and heart and those things. And then in October 1997, I was baptized by the water. In my early Christian days, I didn't know the difference between God, Jesus, and Holy Spirit. Because when I was saved, I just knew this is a God what I was looking for a long time. However, when I play, um, I need to say, like, in Jesus' name, didn't mix to me at all. So in those days, I mostly talked with the Heavenly Father. One day, I found a message from the Lord in my heart was, play the piano for me. It was like uh, someone writes a message in your heart and nobody cannot take it away. I kind of tried to push away, but I couldn't. And I just knew oh, it must be from the Lord. And I'm still doing this for him. 
after I was baptized by the Holy Spirit, my journey was getting easier than before. And I started to recognize the helper and a worker of the Holy Spirit, who he is. I started to have a tangible experience of the presence of the Lord more and more. It brought my heart close to Jesus, and he truly became my Lord and my lover, but not as a friend or bridegroom yet. In those days, one of my favorite worship songs was Holy and Anointed One by Brian Duxon. Your name is like honey on my lips. Your spirit like water to my soul. Your word is a lamp to my feet. Jesus, I love you. I love you. Within last about 17 years, my relationship with Jesus has been changed to more like bright gloom and bright. Sometimes as I read Song of Songs chapter 4 especially, my heart is really overwhelmed by his gentle and deep love toward me. On April 23rd, two months ago, I received the completion of my emotional healing from a, sorry, my trauma that had a long time. Even though I didn't expect to receive the healing on that day. But it just happened spontaneously. Like unknowingly, someone came to the door, knocked the door, and gave it a gift. When I was probably three or four years old, my cousin, she took me in a stone bed and gave me hugs. I was very uncomfortable, but I didn't know how to say no. And I still remember that weird feeling I had. And of course, I couldn't tell anyone, including my parents or siblings, though in my spirit, this was not right. As times went by, when I was 19 years old, early 20s, and middle 20s, I had some sexual abuse. And I only could tell my older sister or my friends. But I could never tell or ask for help from my parents or the police officers. And also, I had two abortions in my early 20s. However, I found myself more passive than before because I believed I didn't have a voice. I lost my desire to be vulnerable, not completely, but pretty much. When I was a kid, I loved to play 
in a park near my house. And at the school, I loved to play dodgeball with boys during the lunchtime. I learned ballet, dance, playing the piano, Japanese calligraphy, and swimming. And in all my junior high school days, I enjoyed playing the volleyball as a setter. In my old days at my high school, I enjoyed playing the tennis. After I became a Christian, my healing journey began. But first few years, I didn't remember what I experienced in my past. Because of the joy of the Lord was just overflowing. Around year 2000, as I started to involve Vancouver Healing Rooms to play for the people, I recognized that, oh, I need to receive the healing for myself. Sometimes some trauma was hiding in my character. And how to know or recognize by myself? Because my experience of two abortions, I've been carried shame such a long time. So I took whatever door the, the Lord opened for me to receive healing or healing deliverance, such as free indeed, restoring the foundation, healing conference, at the catch the fire, and etc. The passion and a hunger to be was not my own. Jesus gave it to me. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, 7 says, Many waters cannot quench up, nor can the France drown it. After we got into the season of COVID lockdown, I had a chance to take the online conference. During the conference, especially through the topic of trauma, the Holy Spirit clarified in my mind and mentioned to me what was happening inside of me right now. Trauma, emotion, organs, which means trauma affects my emotions. My emotion affects my organs to respond in a very weird way. The very next day I finished to attend the conference, I was joining an encounter room and also ministry time. I was thinking to receive prophetic ministry, but I sensed that Holy Spirit directed me to the healing rooms. Interestingly, even though I tried to get into the Zoom room for prophetic ministry, but I couldn't get in. And the door just opened to receive the prayer from the healing rooms. And through that, I knew it. Oh, Papa God is doing this. Therefore, I got into the Zoom for the healing rooms, and in my time, came and they asked some questions so therefore I just answered the questions honestly and also let them know my 
player request. Afterwards, one of the player team members has the same experience, which is sexual abuse experience I have. But she received a total healing from the trauma of sexual abuse. And she imparted her healing to me in a prophetic way. As I was receiving her prayer, I started to cry. And I started weeping a lot because it was very powerful. Praise the Lord. Since I received the impartation of the healing, healing from her, uh, I mean, uh, prayer from her and imparted um, through the perfect way, my organ was healed. And I don't have any oversensitivity now. So which is way, um, I mean, very peaceful. And so I, I did thank God for that. As my birthday was uh, in April, so this healing, a huge breakthrough was a part of my birthday gift from Papa God. And also I knew over and over, for nothing is impossible with God. Luke chapter 137. Because his love is so big, wide, and deep, he never gave up for us. His love truly strong and makes things turn around and make possible for us. His burner over me is love. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 4. The winter is past. The rains are over and gone. The season of singing has come. Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 11 to 12. The Lord is inviting us to come with him as a bride. Step into the season of spring. It is waiting for you. And I will share two songs which I have received. Oh, 
such an intimate experience with God that they literally sing words from the Song of Solomon and feel such a connection to it as you have. So again, thank you so much. So in keeping with Hiromi's testimony, my message this morning is entitled Spiritual Feasting. And it comes from the verse there that she sang for us, which um, I'll just show up on the screen for us and read. He has brought me to his banqueting table and his banner... Over me is love. So, Father, we thank you for this truth this morning. We ask, God, that you impress it freshly upon our hearts. Thank you, Father God, that this testimony is living in Hiromi's life. We ask that you do a wonderful and deep work in us. We commit our time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have a lot of banners flying over our lives. Characterizations, labels, sayings that define us. Some are given by us, some are given by others. Some might be helpful and empowering and encouraging. 
you're smart, you're witty, you're intelligent. But others might be undermining or outright debilitating. You're not good at that. You'll never amount to anything. Human banners can be for good or they can be for evil. But the best banner over our lives are the ones given by God. His words are life. In some ways, we can say that our spiritual journey is one of replacing the wrong banners over our lives with the right ones. Replacing falsehoods with truth. Replacing toxic thoughts with God's renewing and rejuvenating thoughts. In the Shulamite woman's case, she nailed it. His banner over me is love. And there's no greater feeling than being loved. And there's no bigger truth in the Bible or in the world than love. But as simple as love can seem, parent holding a baby, someone making you a warm brownie, it can still elude us as to what love means. We can read about it, we can sing about it, we can watch it in the movies, and yet at the end of the day, when we are left to ourselves, we can still feel unloved. We can feel unlovable, let alone being loved by God. Romans 8.38 says that we cannot be separated, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. If that were true, why is it then that we feel so separated from it? How do we get to the place of the Shulamite woman where God's love truly becomes real to us and begins to natively and inherently and instinctively shape our thoughts and emotions and actions? The answer to part B is given in part A. He brought me to his banqueting table. The way to knowing God's unfailing love is to feast in his banqueting hall, to eat at his banqueting table. Or as King David proclaimed before Solomon did, taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 34, 18. Now last week I mentioned how I was going to tease Pastor John because he has said he has a hard time preaching from this book. And he reads through it as fast as he can because it's so full of ooey, gooey, hard-to-understand poetry and seemingly mismatched metaphors. But here is Solomon speaking John's, Pastor John's truest love language, and it's not acts of service, it's food. Banqueting table stuff. So, Pastor John, what if Solomon had written his love story in this way? Lovely you are, my darling, you are as soft as a red velvet cupcake and holy like a Krispy Kreme donut. Your lips taste like peaches ripened by the rising sun and like plum sauce used in Beijing duck wraps. Your cheeks are like beautifully steeped dumplings fresh from the dim sum cart. Your hair is like fine Italian linguine flowing with garlic sauce made by a Michelin five-star pasta chef. Your arms are like beef jerky, delightful to hold, and your legs are like stalks of celery, so light and perfectly shaped. Oh, my love, I'm drawn to you in every way, in every part of you. Now, if Pastor John were reading this, he would be able to exposit and preach with this book with gusto. Pastor John, show me some love and tweet something on the chat line there. Maybe, Steph, you want to jump in and say something. 
Well, it turns out part of God's love language is food. Is this not what the marriage supper of the Lamb will be about? Now remember Jesus said as he was with the disciples on that very difficult day and had the bread and the wine, he said, my body's going to be broken for you. My blood is going to be shed for you. I will not eat of this until I come again. There is going to come a time when Jesus is going to be united with us as the church, as the bride. And God says in Revelations 22, there's going to be a marriage supper of the Lamb. What's the best meal that you can go to on an annual basis? It's a wedding supper because they put out the biggest spread. Well, the scripture says here that when there is going to be that amazing marriage between the son and the bride, there's going to be a fantastic meal. It's going to be a dinner of all dinners and a feast of all feasts. There are few things more delightful and memorable than a great meal. So how does God feed us that we might possess the spiritual knowledge he wants us to have about his love? Well, the Shulamite teaches us this in three ways. The first is that God feeds us with his words. He does it verbally. Over and over again, we see Solomon lavishing words upon the Shulamite woman. This is why we teach men in marriages, please be verbal. Please feed your wife with words. Peace, please speak loveliness to her. And King Solomon said, how beautiful you are. Your voice is sweet. Your face is lovely. There are many times when I say ooey-gooey things to my wife, and the kids are like, Dad, please don't say that around us. just embarrasses them. King Solomon said to her, you've stolen my heart. Turn your eyes from me. They overwhelm me. You are my dove, my perfect one. And God does the same for us. He speaks sweet words to us, and it's called the Word of God. The prophet Jeremiah, in chapter 15, verse 16, he says, Your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became for me a joy and a delight to my heart. Now, the only way you can experience joy, the only way you can experience the delightfulness of God is to actually eat it. If I put a beautiful Danish pastry in front of you, and you look at it, but you don't taste it, you will never experience the goodness of it. You have to eat the Word of God. These are the sweet words that come to our soul. Life can be very sorrowful and very difficult, but God comes to sweeten our soul with His words. King David said in Psalm 119, I have not turned aside from your ordinances. So King David is saying, listen, I am focused on you. I am not turning aside from your word from your truth. And he says in verse 103, how sweet are your words to my taste, yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. If you want to get filled up and fed, you need to read the word of God. God is speaking to us verbally. How about prophecies? How many of you received prophetic words as spoken of in 1 Corinthians 14? And it builds you up, it edifies you, it clarifies, it brings definition. It helps your feet become sure about the path that you should take forward. It makes you realize how much God cares. His banner over you is love. Jesus said to Nathaniel in John chapter 1, he only said one thing, a man in whom there is no guile. That's it. A short characterization, and Nathaniel felt so known by God just because of that one little phrase. Because of that, Nathaniel follows after God. 
So much of the distortion, so much of the distance that we feel between us and God is we don't know if God knows us, and we don't feel like we know Him. But when God speaks prophetically to us, He knows the hairs on our head, He knows our personalities, He knows our quirks, He knows our weaknesses, and into that, God speaks and we go, wow, God really, really knows me. Right? We see this happening in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well. She was covered with shame. She had the same feelings that Hiromi did as she walked through the different chapters of her life where there was this guilt weighing on her. But Jesus completely validated her and loved on her and brought a word of knowledge to her that set her free. That prophecy was feeding words to her that helped her to understand this God is so different than I imagined. Second way in which the Shulamite woman teaches us about feasting is that God feeds us with acts of kindness. He does it tangibly. Again, we heard Hiromi sharing how she was healed of deep, scarring, decade-long wounds. Does not one jump for joy over that? The Shulamite woman was lifted out of poverty by Solomon and brought into the palace. Think about that. Before, she had the tattered clothes of a laborer, but now she was wearing the best of dresses and the best of shoes and feeling spoiled by the king. Is this not what God does for us? He lifts us out of spiritual poverty and he spoils us. Just like dads love to spoil their kids, our Heavenly Father loves to spoil us. And when we talk about being fed with acts of kindness, I'm thinking about personalized, customized, hit the nail on the head. God, you know me, supernatural encounters. Think about the man in John chapter 5. He was laying by the pool of Bethesda for 38 years, being sick. 38 years. If we're battling with something chronic for a year or two, we think that's already long. But this man was battling for 38 years. Jesus comes by, heals him, says, arise, take up your pallet. Think about the woman in Luke chapter 13, a woman who was bent over back for 18 years. If you've ever had back problems of any kind, you know how difficult it is to weather life with a bad back. This woman was in this condition for 18 years. Jesus discerned there was a spirit there. He rebuked that spirit and she was healed. That's a tangible act of kindness on the part of God that was specific for her. The blind man in John chapter 9, Jesus literally spits on the ground, puts his paste on his eyes. What in the world is Jesus doing? He will go to extreme lengths to touch you. And that picture of spitting is a picture of disdain that God has for the things that afflict you. And so he made this paste, put it on the man's eyes, and he was healed. And he was so excited, he didn't care if his testimony was going to get him kicked out of the synagogue or not. He just knew he was blind, but now he sees. What an act of kindness on the part of the Lord. We can go on and on. I think about the widow in the city of Nain. She's literally crying. There's a funeral procession behind her as she is mourning the loss of her only son. And Jesus has to be passing by through the city, sees the funeral procession. And if you read the account in the Bible, it's absolutely amazing. He stops the procession, he touches the coffin, and the boy rises up from the dead. Can you imagine walking into a funeral, going up to the coffin, 
And the person that you love now is resurrected. That was a double blessing, not only for the kid who got raised from the dead, but also for the mom who got her only son back. They begin to understand how much God loves them. I love this sort of funny story in Matthew 17, where the revenue service is coming to Jesus and says, do you pay taxes? You seem to be a busy minister. Are you actually you know, paying attention to the laws? Peter steps in and answers for Jesus says, yeah, yeah, my master pays the taxes. So after the conversation, kind of Peter goes to Jesus like, okay, where do we get the money? And Jesus says, go and fish. And the first fish you catch, there's going to be a coin in the fish's mouth and use it to pay both our taxes. Now that's a good boss when they pay your taxes for you. So Peter's like, oh my goodness. God cares even down to the taxes that I have to pay. That is so personal and that is so tangible. All these people were eating at the king's table. God made their souls to feast on his goodness through prophetic action, prophetic intervention, and prophetic care. They could now say his banner over me is love. I get it. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. I think of the time when God told me to go to Taiwan even though I was battling kidney failure. One of my kidneys was in failure, and I still felt a peace and a prompting to go, only to go there and to receive medical attention within 24 hours, and my kidneys were completely healed. Only God can orchestrate things like this. I think of the time when the brakes on my car, I was driving to the airport in Minneapolis, and it went out. And I hope you never have to experience this, but there is an utter panic that comes over you when your car is moving and you cannot stop it. And I'm like pumping the brakes with my legs as fast as I can. And I'm going down slope into the parking garage. And I'm just crying out, God, help me. Providentially, the car came to a stop right in front of the parking attendant. So he didn't get run over. He had no idea. He was smiling. Can I help you? Took the keys. But I said, you know what? My car needs to get towed. My brakes completely are out. I think of the time when our family moved here, and we had to raise all our support for the first three years of our church plant. That was a $200,000 budget. We raised it in three days. I think of how God supernaturally sent me to China and had me meet the founder of the largest house church movement in the world, in history. I had sent my visa application into the Chinese embassy in Washington, D.C. They were delayed. It was two days before my flight was to take off, so I, I don't know what is supposed to show up. If I don't have it, I can't go there. I call the embassy. The first miracle, someone answered the phone, a live voice. Then miracle number two, can you please look for my visa application? Oh, it's right here on top of my desk. Then miracle number three, we are so sorry that it's late. We will refund your fee because we should have shipped it out for you. Bureaucracy does not do that. They overnighted it. I got it, and I was off to China, and in that meeting began a 20-year relationship with the house church leaders in China. On and on, I could talk about the table that God has spread in my life, and what did it produce? A harvest of knowledge about who God is, how he works, his grace, his faithfulness, patience, tenderness, his understanding. That knowledge is what gives me abiding joy. That knowledge is what gives me strength through difficulties. 
That knowledge is what gives me meaning in life, and I would never sell that knowledge for any price. Not a million dollars, not a billion dollars, not a thousand shares in Apple stock. I would rather be a pauper with this knowledge than a rich man without it because it's priceless. God invites us into his banqueting hall and he flies a banner of love over our lives. Third way that God feeds us is he feeds us through community. Now, if you've read the book of Song of Songs, you realize that the Shulamite woman had a crew with her, her girl squad. Depending if you're reading in the NIV or the NASB, the female squad speaks nine times between five and nine times. And they're interacting and they're intersecting with these different scenes. They did life together. They rejoiced with her and cooed with her over her new love. Community is part of the feasting package. Who likes to eat alone? It's much more fun to do it together. Are not friends one of the great joys of life? One of God's great blessings. There's an old song I remember that comes from Psalm 16.3. It says, you give marvelous comrades to me. So true. And on this note, I want to speak to our community and how we must not let COVID break our bonds of fellowship. Community means being together, not separated, not drifting apart, not losing touch, not losing accountability. We must make it a priority and we must make it an effort to stay together. We must not just cater to ourselves and our schedules and our preferences. We must also cater to the community. Church is not just about you. That's a consumer mindset. It's about others as well, which is a kingdom mindset. Over the last few weeks, as I've been praying, I've had this pastoral prophetic angst about spiritual drift in our community. A deep concern that people are little by little moving away from the fire and getting used to the feeling of being less connected or even disconnected. They're turning the distraction of COVID into a habit or worse yet, a lifestyle of drift or separation from the family of God. There is a cautionary tale that's given to us in Luke chapter 14. This is actually another banqueting scene. And Jesus is telling the story of a man who is putting on a massive spread. And he's inviting all these people to come and to enjoy. In 14, verse, chapter 14, verse 17, he says, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said, I bought a piece of land. I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Another said, I've married a wife, and for that reason, I cannot come. All these reasons, all these excuses, we cannot, and please do not let COVID be an excuse to let your pursuit of God or connection to the church go slack. We can't let COVID distract us from our spiritual priorities. Amen? I'm going to wrap up my message here. I'm going to have Ben come back to the keys. We are fast approaching fall, and we didn't think that COVID would shut us down from March till now. No one predicted it. And it may continue on 
through next year. So we want to shift to another gear for our fall launch. We're in the process right now of prototyping some new ways to blend community with online broadcast. We're tinkering with the idea of viewing pods where small groups of people come together to watch a service so that you can be with other people in person. We're tinkering with how to blend our current service with some Zoom elements or to create a new Zoom YouTube service altogether. We're evaluating various upgrades to our streaming equipment and services. We've started our Five Stones 2.0 strategy meetings. And I want to plan a Zoom prophetic day of encouragement where Ben Goodman can encourage us and speak to us and prophesy over us as we have a mini Zoom conference. Would that be cool? Let's give it a try. Like I'm... I'm done holding my breath. I'm, I'm done holding my breath waiting for COVID to get over. We got to keep going on. We got to keep moving. So we're going to use whatever we can to keep blessing and building up our body. We cannot allow the virus or the pandemic to cause us to regress spiritually as a church. That would be a win for the devil. And we've got to show some grit and determination and tenacity. This is a testing time. The whole world is being tested. Who's going to come through the test the best? God wants us to pass the test, not by getting weaker or going apart, but by getting stronger. The theme of Song of Songs is about heating things up. There are some pretty steamy things in here, right? If you've read the book. I plan in the coming weeks to actually speak to the physical aspects of this book straight on because it's right there in the text. God wants to speak liberation to us. He wants to speak freedom to us about our physical life and the physical pleasure that we experience between man and woman. We can't skirt around it because it's right here in the Bible. But the big picture is that this book is about getting hotter and maintaining our fervency, not about cooling down or cooling off. So this morning, we take great encouragement from the Shulamite woman. She grasped the greatest truth that God wants all of us to grasp. His banner over me is love. And that comes by feasting. So Holy Spirit, come before you right now. Just sense there's some of us that have felt like you've missed out on the meal. Like God hasn't fed me. I want that food. I want that meal. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you would just come and in the next two weeks, show yourself tangibly to every person that's listening to this broadcast that you would do something that would be supernatural, whether it be a small detail or a big thing, that you would tangibly come and touch each and every person just open your hands to God for a moment. Just as a, a gesture of your openness for him to work in your life. And to show you the massive love that he has. The, the overwhelming love of God that he wants to pour out. And Father, I break a spirit of unbelief. I break, Father God, a darkness that would try to hold people back from opening the door and making themselves vulnerable to you. You are a good God. Holy Spirit, have your way. We chase away the wolves. 
we chase away the foxes, God, that would try to come and spoil what you are trying to do. I speak of protection over your people. Lord, let your blessing flow from heaven to earth, and most of all, God, to your children and to your family. I pray, God, that as we open the Bibles, that it would come alive to us in a fresh way. It wouldn't be dry words. It wouldn't be good information. <coughs> but it would be just like honey, perfect to what we need and what we hear. Maybe you're ashamed that you haven't opened the Bible in weeks. Just set it aside. Just put it aside. God doesn't care. Just open the Bible and let him speak to you. And maybe you've been disconnected from family and friends and maybe you haven't really had the kind of motivation to go online and watch church. Come before God. Ask God to put a fresh zeal in your heart. If you have to repent that you've started to grow cold, then repent. And say, God, I'm sorry. We see that there's a longing that the Shulamite woman exhibited and we want to experience Exhibit that longing towards you. So Holy Spirit, fall afresh on Five Stones Church. Fall afresh on us. Let the joy of the Lord be our strength. Let the knowledge of your love and your banner, Father God, just put a smile on our face. We bless you. We bless you, God. We thank you for such a unique book that you put into the Bible. You're a genius. And God, may we be freshly encouraged by it and through it. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. We hope that uh, if you have any travel plans in the next week or so, that you stay safe. And we'll see you next Sunday online.